Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Opal, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Discover the all-new Opal Mocha, featuring Opal's iconic new signature visor, stunning Opal Pure Panel and a choice of petrol, diesel or fully electric. The new Opal Mocha is less normal, more Mocha. Visit blackstonemotors.ie. You're very welcome to Tuesday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. big thank you to Ken Murray, who sat in for me yesterday in the hot seat. Much appreciated, Ken. And folks, the reason I missed yesterday, yes, late last week, COVID came to call. For the first time since the pandemic began, I uh, have COVID. And uh, I'm well, I have to say, really well. A few days, it was a bit bumpy for sure. uh, But I feel I'm coming out the other side of it as we speak. And that's why I'm back with you today on the show from the bunker here at home. Yes, I feel like Claire Byrne this afternoon, except my bunker is absolutely lovely, I have to say. Claire's is lovely too, but this is lovelier, if you know what I mean. Great to be with you again today on the show. Lots of chat coming up over the next couple of hours. If you want to get in touch with us, 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text is the number. Now, I begin today with a topical matter because, you know, this time of year, festivals are happening all over the place and they're really back with a bang this year, concerts, etc. But when you're teens go off to their first concert there's always a worry among parents will they be okay will they be safe there's a lot going on and it is a real concern well I'm going to tell you we're talking to somebody now who's involved with something really interesting she's the HSE's emerging drug trends project manager and she's behind a new initiative called non-judgmental drug harm reduction campaign that's what it's called the campaign I'm delighted to say hello to Nikki Killeen hello Nikki Hi there, thanks for having me on to talk about this work. Not at all. You're very, very welcome to the show. You do know what I'm saying with parents, the worry there is when especially young teens head off to concerts for the first time. Tell her, please, how did this campaign come about? Where's the thinking behind it? Yes, so I think first of all, uh, it's really important for us to highlight that from the HSE's perspective, we would ideally prefer if no one took substances. So our key message is that we we do not want people to take substances and it is safer not to take drugs at all. Uh, in schools, we have prevention programmes where we try to educate and prevent substance use. But when it comes to the festival setting where they're at risk, there is, we know, the significant risk of substance use. We have our um, harm reduction approach which 
which is the approach that we're taking this summer. So I suppose where, where this came from uh, really relates back to European and local drug policy in that they support a health-led uh, approach for people who use substances in nightlife settings. So our national drug strategy has actually mandated us to look at the festival setting in particular and to, to provide education in those spaces. So we're working under the remit, uh, the policy remit, and we're also working on uh, the most recent data, which really shows us the changing drug landscape in Ireland. So previously, we would have assumed that substance use was probably associated with certain um, certain substances, such as opioids, uh, but our, our landscape has completely changed. So we have a more diverse drug market, uh, and we know this from a study we conducted in 2019 among people who use drugs in festivals, and we found a range of different substances being used. And we also know from our general population survey that there is an overall increase uh, of stimulant use. So, so substances like MDMA and cocaine are being used more commonly now amongst the general population than they would have been in the past. So obviously this is concerning for us that the, the numbers are increasing, uh, that people aren't maybe coming into services. So student populations and young people who are using substances may not have received a drug education or they may not be aware uh, of um, substance use trends. So we, we looked at the data, we looked at the European guidelines and decided that we need to be reaching people in festival spaces as well as nightclubs. So you're talking about MDMA powder, uh, pills, cocaine, cannabis, ketamine and of course alcohol in the mix as well. When you say that they're not educated, where is that falling down happening? Where, where, where is the uh, missing link there that you're coming in to sort of pick up on this at, at this stage of their lives? Yes, so generally throughout Europe, the research has shown that a lot of uh, young people in festival settings, maybe in their late 20s, possibly didn't receive uh, drug education. So we've okay. taken that information. Um, so since, since reading on that, uh, that data, the HSE have launched a school prevention programme in 2019 called Know the Good. Score. So there is a new uh, piece that is targeted at that younger cohort. I suppose the area that I work on would be slightly older. So mm. they would be the uh, late teens and people into their 20s and 30s. So we're engaging with them who may not have had a drug education at the time and may need um, substance use information uh, or have a number of questions for us on the types of substances that they're using. That's good to hear that the the gap is picked up there and that you are coming in at a very crucial stage as well. Um, You've been out and about on the ground at festivals already, Nikki. What's it been like? How have you been received? Is there a little bit of a, a suspicion about you and what you're doing? Um, I think we, I think it's fair to say that we've we've been well received. So, so this work is is uh, on the back of work before COVID in 2019, when we began doing small outreach pieces and research in the area. So we've been working uh, on our engagement with with the festival and nightlife community for some time. Um, I think it, it's really important for us that, that that we do get the message out there that it is a non-judgmental and confidential space for people to trust us. Uh, but overall, uh, people have been very receptive. Uh, people who take substances in nightlife settings are very eager to learn. They want to know uh, about the different substances, about drug trends, and they really want to know how to keep themselves and their friends safe. They want to know uh, the signs of an emergency. So what, what, when should they go to the medical tent? And what would happen if they go to the medical tent? So they, they, they have all of these questions for us that we're able to reassure them, we're able to provide education, and we're able to encourage them to get medical help uh, if, if they need it. 
So there is no stigma. People are coming forward willingly. The word spreads about when you set up at a festival. Do you notice more and more people coming to you as word of mouth passes among the uh, those attending? Yeah, so I think it's important as well um, that we've launched a media campaign. So we have messages on social media. We have asked festivals to share our messages. Uh, and we've obviously uh, released uh, information to, to the media as well. So we're trying to, to circulate as much information as possible in advance of festivals so people know that we're there and that they know they can talk to us if they need to. You said at the outset, and uh, I couldn't agree with you more, it's preferential not to dabble in drugs at all. But festivals and drugs go hand in hand at times and it's part and parcel of the landscape. So what are you hoping to achieve? Yes. So as I said, from Irish data and uh, EU through, we do know that nightlife settings are risk settings. Uh, so that's not to stigmatise the setting, but from the HSE's perspective, we see this as a, as a really useful opportunity for us to engage, to provide drug education and to, to chat with young people. So we, we are hoping that uh, we can share our information. We have booklets, leaflets and resources for people that we can have that one-to-one engagement and give people the information that they need. At a festival, you know, people are there to enjoy themselves and somebody would say, well, you know, is this really necessary? You, you understand where I'm coming from. People would say, oh, no, um, Big Brother keeping an eye on us again. What do you say to that type of attitude? Yeah, and I suppose it is important to note that everyone who goes to a festival might not use substances. So mm. we are really targeting the people who do go and who use controlled substances. So people will be using alcohol, some people will be using uh, other substances. So we, we really want to engage with them. So I suppose we're there for people who want to engage with us. We won't be, uh, I suppose, you know, bringing information to people. Uh, we will have um, T-shirts and vests, uh, a designated tent. And I suppose it's for people who do want to chat with us. But for people who aren't using substances or who don't want to engage, that's also OK as well. The mixing of substances, the mixing of alcohol with various substances, and let's say somebody who might be on medication as well, taking something on a daily basis. Isn't that a dangerous cocktail for anybody? Do you think that, you know, is anybody to the forefront of anybody's mind when they're at festivals? Yeah, and I think that's one one of the, the key messages that we are trying to communicate this summer is the, the mixing of drugs increases risk. So Alcohol with any substance can be unpredictable. Um, so alcohol generally will increase the risks of any of the controlled drugs, MDMA, uh, cocaine, ketamine. Um, what we found in our festival study in 2019 of the just over 1,000 respondents, that 86% were polysubstance users. So they were using a minimum of three drugs and a maximum of eight at a festival. So it's really important for us to reach people uh, with information on how drugs interact with other drugs, how this increases your risk of a drug emergency and encouraging people, I suppose, to avoid that behaviour or to reduce that behaviour. So it's really important for us to educate on the mixing of substances. So um, generally people will mix alcohol with all of the substances, but some of the substances will have very negative interactions and that can include with uh, prescription medication as well. The strength and volatility of drugs and the various mixes, etc., have uh, changed substantially, even in the last five to ten years. And you know the saying, you've been uh, uh, writing about it recently, double dropping uh, as such. Just explain that to listeners, what that meant and how that's a dangerous uh, road to go. 
Yeah, so you are completely correct in that the strength and volatility of the drug market is, is a current concern. So the drug market is evolving and changing. Uh, we're in a time where there's many unknowns. So the strength of drugs throughout Europe have been increasing. And what this means is that while uh, substances maybe in the 90s, such as MDMA, might have had um, 80 milligrams or 90 milligrams of MDMA, the substances tested in Europe have been found to contain uh, everything from 100 milligrams uh, up to 300 milligrams. And the world's strongest MDMA pill was identified last year in Manchester, which was 477 milligrams of pure MDMA. So for us, that is quite concerning in the sense that uh, the substances themselves are very very high strength. So that's another key message of our campaign is that we ask people to check out the HSE's information on drug trends, to stay informed and to see the information that we're putting on our website and social media, drugs.ie. And we'll keep those channels uh, updated uh, with as much information as we have on the current drug trends. From your work, day-to-day work and your work with festivals and as you say nightlife and uh, etc you have a lot of experience the type of substances are many and dangerous as you said and more dangerous with time what about age and gender is there a, a, a typical age when people get into this more deeply and is it more women than men or men than women um i think Previously, in the 90s, we, we could have said that the substance use realm was male-dominated, and that has changed. So while uh, the, the majority of the data will show that you know men are more likely to use substances, we know from the latest Irish data that there's increases of young women using stimulants and different types of drugs. So what we're saying is that the, the gender uh, dimension, the the Uh, the gap is narrowing in the data sets between men and women who use substances and also there is no uh, age profile anymore really Uh, across the board uh, we we are seeing uh, substance use so the landscape has completely changed uh, in in regards to who you may think use substances we are saying that across the board across society uh, across age and gender uh, that substance use is taking place which is why it's really important for us to be out there and engaging um, with people and, and that they engage with our social media, that they engage with the content that we put out from the HSE. Again, from your experience and dealing with people at festivals, is it a, really a fact that people are substance taking in their daily lives and they just carry on at festivals? Or can festivals be a furtive breeding ground to introduce younger people perhaps to substances? I think that's something that we need to research and we need to learn a little bit more about. So I think we need to look at uh, youth settings and where young people begin to start using substances, uh, because right now we just don't have that answer. Mm, Interesting. It's one I'd love to find out myself a little bit more about. So you're going to be present, are you, as the summer moves on? How will people recognise you and understand who and what you're about? I know you're across social media, but if you go to a festival, how will you be recognisable? Are your people there? Yeah, so uh, we'll be at the Independent Festival this month in Cork and we'll be at Electric Picnic down at the uh, end of the festival season. Uh, we will have a, a tent and we'll, we'll post on social media where we are uh, and encourage those who want to chat with us to, to come over. Uh, we'll also have t-shirts uh, which will be recognisable with our campaign uh, information on it and we'll have high-vis vests that will be purple that say drugs.ie on them. So uh, I think we will be fairly recognisable at the event uh, and I'm sure that if if people were asking uh, security or around the event, they'll be able to get directed to us if, if needs be. 
And the message has to be always seek help, seek advice, seek assistance, because some people are embarrassed or worried or afraid. And especially in the context of this, from a, a legal point of view, there's going to be none of that. There's, there's no question of that happening. Now, the most, the most important message for, for the festival season is if you're ever in doubt about anything about yourself or your friend, if you've taken substances, just get to the medical tent as soon as possible. So any, any concern about a reaction, any concern about your health, it's really important to get there uh, within a, a timeline uh, and to chat with the medics about what's going on. Because one tragedy is one too many. And we want to just finish on that point today. Congratulations. I love this. I think it's fantastic. And I wish you well with it. Thank you so much. Not at all. Thank you for joining me. That's Nikki Killeen there, the HSE's Emerging Drug Trends Project Manager. And the campaign is Non-Judgmental Drug Harm Reduction. And it's happening at festivals. I think it's a fantastic idea. It really is that presence there. And people can engage if they wish. But there's no doubt about it. You know, from the past, we've had the stories historically where somebody goes to a festival and unfortunately it ends in tragedy. And that's something we do not want to happen. Uh, really shocking when it does. And it just puts a whole damper, doesn't it, on the, on the summer season. So uh, well done. Good initiative there. Uh, worthwhile uh, highlighting on late lunch this afternoon. Hi, Louise. Hey, Jerry. Nice to see you again. <laughs> can't see you. I can only hear I know you. you can't. Things are very quiet around here without you, oh, I have to say. It's going to, be, it's going to be nearly two weeks now at this stage <laughs> with you on holidays last week and me with this. We'll have to, we'll have to wear a white carnation <laughs> we'll to recognise each other. Yes, we'll replay the Dell boy, Fools and Horses <laughs> clip when he met Raquel in the railway station with the flowers. Yeah, I we'll hope I'm do... Raquel. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> You Not can be anything you want. <laughs> in the clip. Anyway, come here. I missed you for lots of things, but Love Island. Have, have, were you in touch? You're keeping an eye on it. Yes, yes. I wasn't watching reckon? it every day on holidays, obviously, but I was kind of tuning in to the recoupling and the most important pieces. Yes. So what do you reckon at this stage? Some new fella arrived last night, I see, and he's mm. put the cat among the pigeons. The girls have gone bananas altogether. They have, haven't they? The minute he yeah. walked in, it was like... oh. Oh, the faces oh. just dropped. Oh, my God. It was like breeding season. So it was, it was <laughs> unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. But you know what got me last week when you were off? The recoupling, when I thought it all went smoothly. And then they asked the ones who were jilted, the women, mm. to <laughs> talk about what had actually happened. Yeah, I know. <laughs> when the boys were with them. And, and that really spooked me altogether. Who's going to win it? Come on, there's three weeks to I, go. I still, I still like David and, and Ekansu. Right. Yeah, I just like them as a couple. I think they're funny. I think they're sparky, fiery, mm. but I just I like watching them. There's entertainment yes. in them and it's not just the usual, mm. you know. There's no loyalty, is there? Uh, no, no loyalty. Not when it comes when down to it. When you see it last night. No, the end no. of the day is winning. It's like, a, it's like everything Paige, else. Page, yeah, Page last night. In the name of God, sure, when your man walked in, she thought here was our ticket to victory for sure. Um, but yeah, it's but a, amazing. I think she's, you know, this guy is now kind of wants a conversation with her and she has been disappointed. Mm. You know, he, Jax has let her down. So there's all yeah. that to kind of factor in. Yeah, our man a woman from scorned, Dublin. isn't that what you say? <laughs> That's it. Our man from Dublin's a bio, isn't he? <laughs> he was He's like kicked. a five-year-old. He's great. He's great. <laughs> Jumping on the out. couches and everything. <laughs> he's, he's unbelievable. So he is. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's my, as I say again, I just happened to accidentally start watching this. It's my first time watching it. And it's, 
I suppose at times you can just switch it off and think, what the hell, this is... But at times, it gets you. You know, mm-hmm. the the human interactions, the relationships, it opens up vistas that maybe you don't see ordinarily. Anyway, three weeks, is it the 1st of August? I think the whole thing is finished. So, so. I think so. Uh, and you're right, a like a lot of people would laugh and go, oh, Love Island, get a life, ah, like, you know, or whatever, yes, stop. Yeah. But it, it's yeah. just like any reality. When you start watching it, you're hooked. You just get drawn in. You are. You are big, big time for sure. You're drawn in. That is for certain. But anyway, yeah, I said I'd just catch up with you a little bit because you're an avid watcher. You've watched it year on year, haven't you? No, I, I kind of didn't. I didn't watch it. Well, I know it wasn't on, I think, in during COVID and I missed it last year. I didn't bother watching. Mm. So the last one I watched was Maura Higgins. All right, back mm. then. But anyway, you're more familiar with it than me anyway, and you'll keep me in check and keep me informed, and you'll pick the winners, I'm sure, as I look on and uh, try to make head nor tail out of something I'm not familiar with. <laughs> anyway, we're going to make head nor tail out of a lot of things yeah. over the next uh, hour and a half or so to half three. We're going to Moscow next after news and uh, weather top of the hour at two o'clock to Alan Moore. But taking us there, you've an old Irish cracker for us, haven't you? We you do. Have indeed. It's Mustang Sally on your late lunch this Tuesday afternoon. I want to say a very special hello this afternoon to somebody very, very special. You see, her name is Sheila Rafferty. She's from Rathbran, just outside Cullen. Know the area well myself. And it's a very special time for Sheila because she is marking 30 years attending the daycare centre at the wonderful Osnham Home in Mornington. And all her friends there, and especially the wonderful Orla Hillman, would like to say to her that they love her. And they wish her well now and always. And she's always a treat and a treasure to have with them. 30 years attending there and she loves it and they love her. Well done, Sheila. And lovely to uh, mention you and uh, say hello to you on late lunch this afternoon. We'll have to dedicate an old song to you as well a little bit later on. Now we move on, excuse me, on the show this afternoon. And we're heading to Moscow and a man who's been a friend of ours since, well, back when the World Cup happened there. He's lived in Moscow and worked there since 2007. And I love to call him our man in Moscow. And I know he doesn't mind. Alan Moore, hello again. Jerry, thank you so, so much for having me on. And look, it's, it's, it's like, LMFM is my, my, my home station in every sense. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure and honour to be back on. It's great to have you on with us. Now, I believe you have news for us because I know you've been working away there. Your main day job is at the National University of Science and Technology in Moscow. Is there something happening, Alan? Um, well, if, if I could say, well, there is a lot, Jerry. If, if I could just ask one thing. I know that you're, you're recovering from being under the weather. Uh, my own mom uh, is just after coming, coming over as well. Uh, and my sister, and last week, Jerry, I was absolutely chock a block with so much going on. Um, hoping to get home and to get home um, next week, and unfortunately, everything between the jigs and the reels uh, to Ireland at least until October, which is heartbreaking. And I wanted to go home as a kind of a late birthday surprise for my mum. And last week was so manic, Jerry, that I what I. I remembered and then forgot to call my mom and message her. And Jerry, that's, that's the second time in four years I did it. And the last time, thanks to you, I was to wish her a happy birthday online because, or on air, I should say, because of course I was covering the World Cup uh, for LMS, commentating on the matches, and I was able to do it from the Luzhniki Stadium. So now I'm doing it from my office 
in the in in the in Missy here in the centre of Moscow, uh, right beside Gorky Park, and just wish her a very happy birthday and apologise for being a very bad son. What's your mammy's name? Mary, Mary Moore. Mary Moore, we join in those birthday wishes as well and wish you the happiest of birthdays. There's not many mammies gets their son live from Moscow on LMFM radio to wish them a happy birthday. But you see, Alan Moore yeah. is very, very special. What about the job there in the uni? Are you changing jobs that the birdie tell me? Yeah, it's 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 moving, uh, Jerry. I mean, it, it's um, you know, we've come through a very hard period here uh, since last, well, August really, where when we know when Afghanistan went down, we had a lot of students who were over in Afghanistan, Afghan students who were studying with us. So we were kind of very concerned about them and you know, finding all ways and like wonderful ways to get them out to Afghanistan and back into Russia. Many of them traveled, you know, on foot over the mountains to Pakistan. And then we organized to fly them to Moscow. Um, so that was a kind of a, a tough period. And then, of course, in January, we had again the situation in Kazakhstan and we had students who had gone home for New Year holidays, uh, which, uh, you know, two-week break. And we trying to, when everything broke down there, we were, you know, non-stop checking in, which was very difficult. But there was, you know, I think only about two, three hours of internet a day. Uh, and then, of course, then from the, well, February 24th, it's been, it's been harder, like harder still with everything with Ukraine. and um, But still, you know, we've got, Two and a half thousand kids here to look after, um, and luckily we've we've got a great recruiting uh, campaign done now. Almost just finished finishing up in a couple of weeks, and uh, graduating lots of kids out as well. Um, and I have an offer from another university. It's a how do you say, Jerry? It's one of those places. It's just it's it's in Moscow, just a little bit outside the centre, and it's one of these places that I think has produced three or four Nobel Prize winners. And just by going out there. For the interview, I felt myself, my IQ was growing, which is a good thing, because that means next year I won't forget my mom's birthday. <laughs> so you are on the move. That is the message today. But it's to another uh, educational institution. Look, I suppose, Alan, people are uh, listening to us today and they're dying for me to ask you from the perspective of somebody living in Moscow and with this war outbreak in Ukraine since the spring of the year when we last spoke, has life impacted? Can you see an impact on life there in Moscow? Um, Jerry, and I, I know that we, like for many, well, four years, of course, since working together and you've been always, you know, like happy to have me on and looking at for, for me as well. I know you looking at that. How would it be to report from here and say what's going on? Um, it's been difficult. It's been difficult, uh, even though, you know, it's kind of going into this rhythm of it's not yet war fatigue, but it's almost background, Jerry. It feels like, you know, how we would have gone, well, I would have, you know, say go up to the late 70s and 80s, come in the morning to eat your porridge and you hear something, oh, there was a bomb in Belfast, there was this, this, this. It's just background. It's a kind of a normal situation. Well, it's actually not. It's abnormal, but we react to it normally. And it feels like that now, Jerry. Um, we, of course, we had different companies leaving, like McDonald's, you know, in inverted commas. Um, you know, they left, but they didn't really leave. Um, mm. So all their, their most of their uh, places are open, and my, my son is extremely happy with that uh, because uh, it's back on. Even though he, he thinks the, the McDonald's chips is the old ones, um, I couldn't tell the difference. To be honest with you, but uh, other than that, like you know, it is worrying. Like you know, in terms of travel, for me to get home this year, I know something yeah. my mom had said to me to double think uh, to, not to do it. 
I'd have to fly to Kaliningrad, which is up in the, the uh, on, on on the coast, sort of like the, the little exclave there between Poland and Lithuania. So I'd have to fly up there and then get a bus either to uh, Vilnius or Kaunas in Lithuania or to Gdansk in Poland, um, and then fly from there. So yes, it, it would have been a journey door to door. Would have been around. We, we worked out at the minimum without hold ups and delays. We're bit between six, sixty to eighteen hours. Um, so right. two flights and, and a bus, and um, yes. you know, you know, I'm luckily I'm, I'm I'm healthy and this and that, but it'd be difficult. Um, one other so 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 might... travel is travel is impacted big time, as you say, because the flights can't go directly to many many destinations. So you have to go outside of Russia and then fly home. So that's a, a practical uh, impact on you. You mentioned many yeah. multinationals have left. I see Lego are talking about pulling out today. There's something yes. about that as well. But what about life in general? Are there any shortages of anything, or you know, do you notice anything in that sphere? You know, out shopping or uh, electricity, gas supplies, prices going up, anything like that? Now, Jerry, this this is something that people mention at the start, and then it kind of disappeared because there are and there aren't. Now, I'm, I'm not I'm not playing with words. There are and there aren't shortages, Jerry. There are some things that we would normally be used to getting in. Now, we've already mm. done without Irish cheddar cheese and Irish butter since 2014, since the Russians put sanctions on the EU and wouldn't let the cheese in. But mm. um, there are some things that we were not seeing. For example, Haribo. Uh, the lovely sweets from Germany. They like they are now running down their their, their production here. Coca Cola are producing Coca Cola, but now under a different brand. Um, mm. So the existing stocks of branded Coca Cola, for example, or Coca Cola products, um, were, were like free promos. But anyway, um, they, they, like they're running down. Like they're being produced in in, in Russia. I think a quarter of your market Coca Cola uh, is in Russia. So. But they're they're producing a different brand. Um, a lot of Russian products, which were getting you know overlooked by like not fancy, just Western products or products from outside of Russia, they're now um, on their forefront. And people are just making that switch. Switch, excuse me, without thinking, because many of the people, say between thirty and fifty, especially, uh, they were used to that because they had the early nineties when there was just like very Soviet products. And then yes. Western products came in. And now it's kind of mm-hmm. gone the other way around, but not as severe. And one thing that we, which from a GAA point of view, we've been doing very, very well with the Moscow Sharmans GAA Club. And there's another, we've been, where Vladimir Lenin was born. And um, there two weeks ago, we had the, the Russian Gaelic Football Championships for men's and ladies. And the, the amazing thing, Jerry, that, uh, you know, we, we just did it, did, didn't really notice it. Um, there were five Ukrainians involved, like in, mm. in the teams playing. Mm. And only when we were sitting in the pub afterwards, I was speaking to one of them who plays with us. And I just, I, I, I never asked him really, like how, he, I, I, at the start I did. And then, like, how do you feel now? He goes, he said, we just have to get on with life. And he said, mm. and we're here for Gaelic football anyway. So that was it. Yes. It was first so, for him. So. So, so there is elements of normality happening. What about on the sports? Because we, we do know you work with Capital Sports there. You know, the restrictions on Russian competitors competing around the world. That must be biting. Now, I, I, I thank you for, for reminding me in a good way. With Capital FM, that's that's a, a different story, and now I'm able to tell it because it relaunched last uh, the seventh last week, last Thursday. 
Um, we were we were broadcasting and doing our best all the way through until eight, the middle of April, which is marking our five years on air, to to, to talk about it, but in, in a careful way and to sort of you know not not condemn. Uh, let's say, for example, UEFA or FIFA from banning Russian footballers. or We, we discussed it and, and pointed that, yes, in this situation it makes sense. We understand where, you know, so we, we're being very magnanimous about it. Now, at the start of, the, of, 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 of everything down in Ukraine, even the build-up to it, we were getting, and especially with things kicked off on February 24th, um, we were getting horrendous abuse and death threats and stuff sent to us and the whole lot in, in the studio saying that we were you know, um, apologists and that we were, you know, baby killers and so on. So that 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 was worrying at the start. Um, then a short while later, um, it was getting a bit worse. And even within work, I, I was told to be, be careful for my safety because there were legitimate threats against me. And I was like, OK, you know, again, I took him aside. I said, OK, look, I'm OK. You know, there's people up there looking after me. Um you know, I, I thought the people at the Nils and Lebanon who were like prepares me, so I'll, I'll be okay. And eventually, then, when we continued on as March went into April, um, we started getting backlash from I would call them Russian nationalists um, who were saying that there should be no English on air, uh, should be right. no English language, and that. Now, even though I was the only non, I was the only like person working there as a as a host, so we basically we were. Again, there were threats and there was like packages sent into the station and so on and a couple of attacks made on colleagues' cars and so on. So we, the, the decision was made from the station people to say, look, uh, they're, they're slamming us as state-affiliated, so let's just, we're going to take a little step back and reassess it. So we went off the air, uh, radio, even though we're still producing bulletins and so on, um, for a while. And uh, it got to the point that in May they said, it's 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 too much. It's too dangerous. So we're going to yes. to a Russian language station. <clears throat> okay, so that Russian language station. So. That that was the end of that. You were trying to straddle both. I can see that and be fair to everybody, but it just wasn't possible uh, to no. please. Alan, look, uh, you're very kind to join us and be honest and tell us about it today. Stay safe. Stay well. You're going to get home later on in the year. And it's not an easy situation. We understand that. But I thank you for being so honest and joining us today to tell us, uh, give us an update on the show. Thank you very much, Sherry. And again, um, you know, I really appreciate the time you've given me and also speaking. I'm always ready to speak with you as well. Thank you so much, Sherry. Thank you. And we'll see you when you're back in Ireland, please, God. Take care, Alan. Bye-bye. Take care now. That's uh, Alan Moore there. You heard the story there in the end. He had to leave uh, the uh, radio station. He's been with for years there broadcasting. And uh, it's another fallout, isn't it, from the situation, the awful situation in Ukraine and where that's going. Who only knows? You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. I know where I'm going for a short break, but then we're back with your two on Tuesday. At this time on Tuesdays on your Late Lunch, we spin a disc. We use the old term there. It's lovely, isn't it? Spin a disc. So we're all going back to the vinyls. Yes, we are. We spin a disc that was number two in the charts that just fell short of making the number one spot in the UK charts. And today I go back to 1997. And do you remember a crowd called Blur? Yes, I do. And I'm sure many people do and followed them. They were huge at the time. Anyway, they had many big hits. But this song was number two and never made it to top spot.
Yeah, it ends abruptly, doesn't it? It really does. That song was number two in the charts in 1997 from Blur. And the name of the song is Song 2. Yeah, it's Song 2. They must have known Louise, did they? Did they know Louise, actually, that it would never have made number one to give it a name like Song 2? What do you think? They were robbed. (laughs) Do you think so? Yeah, it should have been number one. That song, it comes back to me. I think it was used in the 2012 Olympics in London. I'm nearly sure. It's used the in a lot ceremony. of things. It was used it? in a lot of ads and everything over the years, yeah, hasn't it? I think yeah. so. I think so. It, it certainly does ring a bell with me. And do you know what kept it off number one? Well, we shouldn't really say, but what kept it off number one was... I believe I can fly by a fella called Or Kelly, who's in a lot of bother at the moment. So we ain't going to spin that one today. But nope. that was the song that kept it off number one. And when I think of that song that made number one, do you know what I think of, Louise? <laughs> I think of the famous raft races that happened on the River Boyne in Drogheda. Now, you wouldn't have a clue what I'm talking about. But no. between 82 and 85, there were four years of raft races and the wonderful Mr. Eamon Duffy from the Weavers pub was the promoter of the races and people built rafts, Louise, okay. and raced down the River Boyne from uh, up at the top of the ramparts. You know, the walkway there uh, along the Boyne from up at the top there at the, the sawmills, right. it's known, from there down into Drogheda and it finished uh, in the town just short of the big bridge there and people entered all different kind of rafts and there was winners. In fact, may I say, I was part of the raft winning team one year. <laughs> mm, I was. I was. Mr. Terry Carlin was the coxswain. And I was on that raft that actually won. We, we sort of won against the head. We weren't expected to win. But anyway, 1983, Louise, I believe I can fly. Captain Kelly, Finton Kelly, the famous Captain Kelly from Drogheda, tied, Louise, three mm. turkeys to one arm and three turkeys to another arm. Re- li- live turkeys? Live turkeys and ran out to the end of a 40 foot platform above Mm. the River Boyne and jumped because he believed he could fly with the turkeys. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Seriously. I hope the turkeys were okay. Well, he fell like a stone into the river, turkeys and all. Now, the turkeys were fine. They were a bit shocked and a bit wet and things like that. But how did he ever think oh. six turkeys, who can't really fly anyway, would carry him across the rubbite? There was a What's Ferrari that? at the time about it. Do you know that? There really was. I'd say so. I'd say all the um, animal lovers. Oh. oh, it was a national, national news the next day, so there was. But when I hear the name of that song, mm. I believe I can fly. I always think of Captain Kelly and his escapades. Wasn't that like a an old Greek or something in mythology about a fella tying on a load of feathers to his arms and, and he could fly. fly into the sun or something? Was it? <laughs> something like that. Just coming back well, the, to my memory. The good news about the six turkeys is they never made the Christmas table Seven because turkeys. of what they went through. Oh. They lived longer than most oh, of them. Okay. They lived a long and happy life. We have to give him credit with that. But he'd be always remembered for that. Uh, 1983, I can fly with six turkeys, three on each arm. Maria, what a story that was at the <laughs> time. But God, I'll tell you one thing. You'd be in trouble today, wouldn't you? You really, you really would be would. in trouble if yeah. you tried something like that. Want to say a big hello, yes, to Father Michael Cusack and Joan Finnegan, who are listening in to us this afternoon on Late Lunch. And thank you, Father Michael. I'm on the road to recovery, please, God. Yes, over the hump of the blimmin' COVID and working from the bunker here this afternoon. Great to hear from you. Lovely that you're home. And Joan, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant lady. Thanks, Andy, for getting in touch with us on the show. Where are we for now, Louise? Are we for anywhere else? Oh, Love Louise, Island. Louise, We're back, going Louise. back. 
you have an update. Tell the listeners, tell the listeners, you have an update. Seemingly, Jax has left the island. Jax O'Neill has gone and it's all going to explode tonight. Really? So mm. it's unmissable this evening. This is the lad who is with Paige, is it? Yes. Oh, so he's out now. Yes, he kind of misbehaved a bit when yes. she went to the other island and yes. he kind of tried to make up for it ever since. And it looked like he was forgiven until that other lad came in last night and mm. threw the turkey among the pigeons. Or <laughs> put, put the turkey among the pigeons, is right. Yeah, yeah, very, very good. Very clever. Uh, yes, Mina, thanks. And everyone else has been number on to us. Just be, see, Love, Love Island has a big following, no matter what you say. Mm. And it has another following who wouldn't rather watch paint dry. We understand that as well. So they are, that's the breaking news just out. It's all across social media. Be interesting. The there. I don't know whether it's a good thing or a bad thing in yeah, terms of sure. drama. You, you can explain it to me as it unfolds. And the other thing, Louise, I wanted to mention, did you see that the dollar, the dollar, the dollar currency, USA, has drawn level parity with the euro, our currency here? So one dollar buys you one euro. It's absolutely mm-hmm. equal. And Louise, I can remember the time not so long ago when a euro was worth one dollar 28 cent. Now, that is some climb back, you know what I mean, to mm. parity in the currencies. And, you know, for going to America at the time when it was 128, my God, was, the value. Yes. You can imagine the value mm. that was in it. Likewise, for all Americans coming here, all the shoppers, the Christmas time and everything, sure, everyone just went belubas, especially in the Celtic Tiger years. But it's over 20 years since it's been level. And now this this levelling up of the dollar and the euro will certainly benefit Irish businesses here with American tourists coming here. Do you know what I mean? Ireland is very attractive now mm. with a one for one dollar for euro. They so the swings and roundabouts. Well, <laughs> <laughs> they probably could fly their own cars in a lot of them. So that wouldn't be an issue at all. But uh, yeah, I know what you're saying. There are the costs involved, but you can imagine from Back then, 128 mm. the other way to parity now coming here. The the power and the dollar to buy here and come in and spend in this country. It's certainly a big boon. Give an excuse Irish. to a lot of people to come home more. Maybe. Yeah. It yeah. hasn't been but home in a few years. Possibly. But there you are. The days of the uh, quarter of 25% up on the euro heading to the States for your shopping are long gone, folks. It's one for one at the minute. It'll be interesting to see, Louise. Will that affect you know, the November. numbers going this Christmas time, yeah. yes, to go shopping. Will it actually affect people? You know, would it make you think twice that it's just one for one at the minute or do you still think there's some value there? Time I'd say a lot of people have that. already booked in advance if they're mm. going in November, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah, I'd say the bookings are uh, done and dusted at this stage. But uh, there you are today, one for one, the dollar for the euro parity uh, after all of those years. By God, I got some value out of it, I have to say, the few times I was over. I really did. I enjoyed it. I, I spent like mad and I bought things that I probably never buy and probably never will again. But there you go. Anyway, the USA... Will you go? Will you stay? If you have anything to say about it or Love Island or anything else besides, don't forget the usual numbers on the show. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text this beautiful July afternoon. When we come back after the break, you remember that couple in uh, Tipperary? Their bodies were found lying in that bungalow for how long? Over a year or so. And nobody knew who they were or who their relatives might be. Well, their relatives have been found and a Drogheda man has been to the core of finding 
the relatives of those people who died tragically and we're going to be joined by him next. It's a case that shocked the nation. I'm talking about the elderly couple Nicholas Smith and his wife Hilary who were found dead in their lovely bungalow in Clanean village on the Tipperary Kilkenny border uh, a few weeks back. Uh, they lay there for over a year, more than a year, and nobody knew that they had passed away. And then the speculation began, who were they? Who were their relatives? Why did nobody uh, pick this up in the area? Or if they had relatives living in this country or beyond, why weren't they in touch or ask any questions? Well, it seems the mystery is now solved, and it is solved because of a local man. I'm delighted to welcome back to the show from Erin Research, Porrick Grennan. Hello again, Porrick. Jerry, how are you? Thanks for having me. Not at all. I was fascinated when I saw you and the company mentioned in the context of solving this and locating uh, the, the relatives. Just in a general sense and from the work you do and your experience, it's fair to say this is a very rare case when a couple lie for so long dead and nobody knows. It is and very tragic. I mean, it's not something we would see too often um, when we when we read the news but um, to give your listeners some context, Jerry, just in terms of why we became involved, we're mm. a firm that works mostly for solicitors around the country. Um, and when they have somebody who's passed away with uh, either somebody named on a will that they can't locate, or they might have a situation where there's no next of kin, or some of the next, some of the nearest kin might be known, but some are unknown or some are missing. That's when we become involved, and lawyers would refer these cases to us. And we, we build a family tree, identify who's entitled to benefit from an estate, and then we track down these people. Okay, so that's our core business, if yes. you like. And, and when I saw this for the first time in the newspaper, gosh, it must be almost a month ago now. And mm. the, name, the names of the people weren't actually released at this point. But the fact, when I look, read it in the newspaper for the first time, the fact that these poor people had been there for you know, 18 months, I think it's been reported, and, and no family had come forward. Straight away, the inner alarm bell rang, and I thought to myself, gosh, we, we, we could probably find the next of kin here, because I know that the guards had put out, um, you know, a, an alert with Interpol, because these people were from the UK, they they worked on, on cruise liners, they were all over the world, so there was an alert out with Interpol for, for next of kin to come forward, but the thing, the thing is, in many of these cases, the next of kin don't know that the next of kin. Okay. Yes. So if you're extended family, you might be a first cousin, first cousin once removed, or a second cousin. There's a good chance that you know people become estranged, or you mightn't have known the deceased person. And that's what I thought might have been the case here. Um, it turns out it wasn't the case. There were closer kin than we expected, but the family were certain. Each individual. Uh, both Mr. and Mrs. Smith were both estranged from their families. So tell me this, did you make the approach or were you then approached by uh, the legal people down there trying to make head nor tail of this or the Gardaí? How did that happen? What happened was I saw it in the newspaper and we took it on on spec, if you like. So okay, right. The way we went about it was the names weren't released, but there was a picture of the house in the, the Irish Times, I think it was, wherever I read it. And I was able to pinpoint that property. We were able to um, establish who the owners of the property were. They were both named on, on a folio on the land registry as co-owners. Um, with that, we were able to look for marriage certificates in Ireland. We couldn't find one. 
this is where the genealogy piece comes in then. So we then looked for marriage certificates in the UK and we could see there were several potential marriages, Smith being a very common name. We, there was a process of elimination until we found what we believed were the right people. So from the marriage certificate, now bear in mind, we didn't have exact dates of birth, which is usually very important for us because it's a unique identifier. Okay, but mm. we were we were working off the information. One was supposed to be seven eighty one, and Mrs. Smith I think was seventy nine. So basically, in the UK, Smith being a common surname, as you can imagine, it took a while for us to figure out which family it was, and we didn't have the dates of birth. So we were able to identify the marriage of the two individuals, and from that, then, um, you know, there are people named on a marriage certificate, other family members. We were able to get their birth certificates, and on the birth certificates would have their parents' names. So this is how you unravel a family tree, okay? Mm. And for us, we needed to order their certificates from the UK. That takes a bit of time. So it took a couple of weeks. By the time you get one certificate, you get the information, then you apply for other certificates, and this is how you piece together the mystery, okay? So we were then able to establish, on Mrs. Smith's side, it turns out we believed that initially that She'd no family but that her nearest next of kin were three living first cousins. But then we realized that she had a son from a previous relationship, okay? And we were able to track him down, made contact with him, and he was able to verify everything for us. It was a twist in the whole tale, really, because he didn't see his mum since he was five or six years of age. He was raised by his maternal, by his mum's mum. Okay, so his grandmother raised him um, his mum um, entered into a relationship with Nicholas Smith and he was, I believe, a, a, a captain at sea and she travelled the world with him. We don't know yet, you know, what the circumstances were in terms of why they didn't keep in touch. Um, maybe that will come out at some stage in the future. But needless to say, it really was a twist when we discovered that she had a son that uh, wasn't of Mr Smith's but from a previous relationship. And the man, Nicholas Smith himself, uh, he has a brother. He does indeed. And we, we, obviously we need to look at both sides of the family. So uh, there, there, there's, there's, a, there's an order of succession, Jerry, in terms of this is now getting kind of, kind of a bit of legalese, but there is an order of succession in terms of who is, is deemed the nearest next of kin. So you would look at children, then you look at grandchildren, then you look at parents, then you look at siblings, nieces and nephews. So you must go through this this order of succession to find out who the nearest next of kin. As it turned out, they, the couple had no children of their marriage. So he had no children, but he had a brother who's still alive and living in London. So we managed to track him down, down as well. We, we had an agent of ours in the UK call out to see him, and he confirmed everything. Okay, mm. then on the other side, on Mrs. Smith's side, we did the exact same process, but found that she had a son who would, who would be nearer next of kin, if you like, than a sibling. Okay, so he is the number one in line then, so to speak. Well, on her side, he is. Yes. You know, if you're talking about the administration of the estate, that's a completely separate matter. That would come down to which one of the individuals passed away first, because being husband and wife, one will inherit by survivorship from the other if there were no wills made. So if the gentleman passed away first, his wife would inherit his estate, and then it would go to the son, her son, her next of kin. If it's the other way around, it would go to the brother of, if she passed away first, her estate goes to the to her husband, and then it goes to his next of kin. 
But from what I understand, it's it's um, very difficult to determine at the moment who passed away when because the you know the the remains were there for so long. If we're yes. talking eighty months. There's an article in the Times today that they were last seen. I think December twenty twenty. So you know you're talking almost eighteen months. So it's going to be difficult, I believe, for a pathologist um, to determine a how they died and b who died first. That's that's the difficulty. And yet for succession, this is going to be key, that this is proven. And if it's never proven, well, it's if then it's to the legal proven, people, is it? Yeah, it is. I think there's an application to that made to the High Court and then it's a 50-50 split if it can't be proven, uh, you know, under medical grounds who passed away first. So it'd be a 50-50 split. I think that's the way it goes. And don't forget, in most cases, a couple like this will have a child. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? So it's clear cut as to who would inherit, if you like, if there's an, an estate to inherit. But under these particular circumstances, the fact that the child um, is not Mr. Smith, uh, there's there's different options here available to, uh, as to how it would be distributed, basically. That's, that's now, you took an interest in this on a personal basis and away you go. And look what you've come up with and look at how accurately you've pinpointed, you know, surviving members of the family. Did you just do this out of the kindness of your heart or is it a business proposition for you guys? Or is it just to show people what you can achieve or have you been engaged by anybody? I just want to come back to that again. Yeah, I'm going to be to be completely honest with you. It's, it's something like this um, is is what a we can do show, show off our skill set if you like in terms of what we can do. I mean, we're quite proud of the fact that you know Interpol were out there appealing for these people and we got there first. Okay, mm. but there is a bit of PR to be got from it. It's done out of good. I won't say the goodness of our hearts, but I mean, it's one of those stories you read and you say, "Gosh, you know, they can't even bury these poor people until somebody." comes forward. That's the issue as well that, you know, a, a certain period of time, I don't know what it is now, but somebody said, it's it's six months recently I was talking to that. If somebody doesn't come forward, the state will ultimately bury the people but um, next of kin need to be located and um, verified before the remains can, can be buried. That's the next step in the process. I mean, the estate and all that will come later on and that's a long drawn out process. Who knows what way that's going to go under the circumstances. But for now, it's it's about, you know, securing the property and ensuring it and making sure that these people get a proper send-off. Mr. Smith, or the, the, Mrs. Smith's son is adamant that he would like to see both people buried together and because, in his own words, to me, they were inseparable. They spent a lifetime together and he'd like to see some kind of ceremony locally in Clonine and County Tipperary and um, purely for the for uh, some closure for the people of the area because he cannot travel himself due to 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 ill health, so he's hoping that there'll be a ceremony there. They get a proper send off, and that the rashes then they'd be cremated and the rashes returned back to 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 their family. Mm. It's 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 a case that's really gripped the nation. I have to say because we find it hard as a people. You know what I'm talking about, Porik. We're a, a generally a close people, and communities, you know, keep an eye out for each other, even though they might live in each other's pockets. But for this to happen in the midst of a, a tight community down there, and we know there was COVID and everything like that, is is a, a real wake up call for everybody. But back to you and you guys and this information, it does show you that no matter how forlorn the situation, you know. And there are many family situations where I don't have to tell you people are looking and trying to trace, etc. 
there's always a glimmer of hope. There definitely is. I mean, Ireland back in the day in the 40s and 50s, we've come a long way, I would say, in terms of, you know, adoptions and, and children being given out and the shame that was carried around, you know, people having children out of wedlock and all that sort of stuff. So we get lots of inquiries from people in relation to that type of thing, trying to, to track them, their next of kin. People are using DNA samples more, the likes of Ancestry, the DNA kits, and they're finding relatives. You know, they're going, they're, they're going out to fourth and fifth cousins. They're even finding people that are very close to them. But I would say there's always, with social media, you know, a lot of the records now around the world are online. There's so much in the likes of Ancestry or Find My Past or Roots Ireland or Irish genealogy. There's so many resources available to people now that want to look this up. And, you know, a lot of it really comes down to experience. If you're prepared to put the time in and, mm. and to try and track people down, you can. You've the new adoption legislation as well coming in around the birth certificate. So yes. uh, that, I'm sure that's very welcome for a lot of Irish people. But, yeah, there's definitely hope um, for a lot of people out there who are looking for their next of kin for sure. And Erin Research are the people who've come up trumps with this high-profile case and many, many more besides. Uh, delighted for you. I really was when I saw the news that you, you had unearthed the, the, uh, the people that needed to be found in this particular case. Just for listeners today, if they have a, a query or something, how is the easiest way to get in touch with you, Parik? They can email us at info at Erin Research. That's E-R-I-N, research.ie. That's the best way. We're in, we're in Drogheda. We're down on 10 North Quay and they can give us a buzz, they'll find us online. Just Google Aaron Research. Good to talk to you again. Well done, Parik. Thank you, Jerry. Pleasure as always. Take care. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's Parik Grennan there. Uh, Aaron Research, who've uh, uncovered that there are people alive related to that couple in uh, Tipperary on the border there, Kilkenny, Tipperary. My God almighty, when you think of it again, lying there for 18 months and nobody in the world wonders who you are, where you are, what you are. Isn't it incredible? Ponder that for a moment. We'll be back with you in late lunch in three. Yes, you got it on late lunch this Tuesday afternoon and we dedicate that one to Alan Moore's mammy whose birthday it was recently and Sheila Rafferty from Rathbrand Cullen. 30 years she's attending Osnham Home this time and all your friends, including Orla Hillman, send you on the very, very best of wishes. Now, Louise, you thought I was for the birds, didn't you? Probably a little earlier well, on I in do, the show. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. That's a good I take, but yeah, I, I take I, that as a compliment. I didn't really, I couldn't comprehend it until, uh, thanks Jamie, Jamie sent in, um, and you obviously can't see it because you're not in studio, but Jamie mm. sent us in a clip about the Birdman of Drogheda competition. Yes. And you, the prize was £5,000. Yeah. Which was massive back in, what, when did you say, what year was it, 83? 83, 83, yeah. So it was yeah. roughly, um, you had to fly over the Boyne. Mm. And it was worked out at about £100 a metre. So, um, yeah, they were kind of doing all they could to get over the Boyne. And that person that you mentioned earlier. Captain Kelly. This is very funny. (laughs) He's talking, he has the the turkeys. Yes. And um, they they present 
the interviewer is saying, um, you know, talking to him about it, and it says that the rules say that you have to be of sound mind and body. And he says, well, I think I'm okay, but I'd be a bit worried about the turkeys. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely love it. There you are, Jamie. Thanks a million. Thanks. We we do appreciate that. The clip. um, Yeah. Have a look. Have a look at it. Honest to God, you look back and you think, (laughs) no way that this actually (laughs) happened. Did a man tie three and three turkeys, one to each arm and tear down a platform 40 foot above the river and seriously think he was going to (laughs) fly to the other side? Did you see it? He just went down like a stone. Did you see it? Wham! Down into the river. Do you remember anybody who won or what, what methods did they win it by? No. Can't no, remember. I think, anybody, I think it was it was a real novelty thing. They knew that nobody actually could probably do it without <laughs> kind of a an early machine. Red Bull event, isn't it? Yes, yes, something like that. You know what I mean? But it all added to the <laughs> drama of the whole thing. And should the the boy? I remember. I told you we won the raft race, and when we won it, we jumped off the raft. You know the way in celebration uh, when we crossed the line. Now, our mm. raft was just timber with. Uh, you know, the inside tube of tyres, they don't mm-hmm. have tubes in tyres now, but we got big, huge tractor tubes and made them down to the front in a V-shape to smaller tubes. I think the smallest tube was from a mini or something. So it was a V-shaped thing that okay. floated on planks. Well, and you're we going to have had... to finish the story, I'm afraid, after the news. Oh, my God. Because we, we got to go to news. news. <laughs> okay. I'm just lost. News, weather and sport on the way. Yes. The latest instalment <laughs> of Jerry's. <laughs> Crap. Well, firstly, firstly, I have to tell listeners, if you want to see what we're talking about, 1983 and the attempt to fly the River Boyne by uh, other means rather than aircraft or helicopter, the Birdman of Drogheda on YouTube. Look it up. The Birdman of Drogheda on YouTube. Look it up and you will smile, we promise you. Definitely anyway, will you, smile. You will smile for mm. sure. Wouldn't happen today, but you'll smile thinking about it. Anyway, we won the raft race. I told you we built the raft with the um, tubes of tyre, starting with tractor at the back, right down to a little mini tube at the front. So it was a V-shaped thing with a pointed front and, and we rode like mad and we beat some big guns to win it. But when we crossed the winning line in near town, it was full tide. We decided to do what all victorious boat people do, jump out of the boat, Louise. But we jumped into a river, Boyne, in 1983 that was glad to take the sewage from Kells, Navin, Drogheda, down through the river. Well, the smell out of us after we clambered out of the water. I think I was washing myself for a week. Did you swallow any of it? Yes. Could you taste like... Yes. We could, but look, it sure didn't do us any harm. Victory. (laughs) It did not. (laughs) We won a holiday to the sun. Did you? Yeah, a holiday for four people to uh, the Costa del Sol was the prize, and there was four of us on the raft. So what did we do? Actually, Terry Carlin got the prize because he was the man. It was his concept. He designed it. So Terry went on the holiday and we got a couple of bob each for a few pints and that. And it was just grand. Everybody was happy. All's well that ends well. But it was a good, nice prize. You know what I mean? Nice prize for the winner of the the raft race back then. Anyway, that's the story of the raft race for today. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) when you jump into rivers like that and swallow things like that, it sort of gives you a bit of immunity, which we don't seem to have today. You know know what I'm getting at? (laughs) Stuff like that. Makes you hardier. Hardier, Louise. Become soft. Hardier is one word. (laughs) Tardier is probably the problem. Becoming soft, as you said, is another. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's another story altogether. Anyway, let's uh, have a word about uh, my artist of the week this week. And it is, of course, Madonna picking up the story from Ken yesterday. Madonna released her third album, True Blue, it was called, in June 1986. I have a copy up in the attic with all the other albums on vinyl. Must get it out again. Which she dedicated to her then-husband, Sean Penn, who she married on her birthday the previous year. Five singles, including three number ones, were produced from that album. And that album became her best-selling studio album of all time. It shifted and has shifted in excess of 25 million copies. But it wasn't going well all round for Madge because, you see, her second movie, Shanghai Surprise, uh, well, it must have come as a surprise to her that it was panned by the critics and public alike and that she won the Golden Raspberry Award for the worst actress. That wouldn't have gone down well with her, would it? Anyway... Life is a roller coaster, as they say, and two years with Penn proved trying. She filed for divorce in uh, 87, but she stayed with him. She pulled the, the application, stayed with him till 89, but eventually it fell apart then. So she dedicated that album, True Blue, to Penn. And as we have a listen to the song today from Madonna, I'm just speculating, had this something with her bidding adieu to the Penn man? Yeah, Madonna and True Blue on your late lunch this Tuesday afternoon. True love. Louise, I believe there's not true love coming across the, uh, the text <laughs> or the WhatsApp. Well, that right? I don't know about that. I'd say it's a term of affection for you, Jerry. Ah, really? Tell me. <laughs> tell me. Tell me. Jerry Smelly. I beg your pardon. Who sent that in? <laughs> Who sent that in? That scramps to me. You're a nut or bounder, whoever you are. Who sent that in to me? <laughs> A chap <laughs> called Stephen. Ah, Stephen, thanks for the mess. We love the messages no matter what they say. They used to call me, there was a very famous man called me Jelly Kelly. Do you remember that? I do. Waves a while back as well. And so when you were smaller, they used to have rhymes about Smelly Kelly. And I used to say back sticks and stones can hurt my bones, but names will never hurt me. You know what I mean? Break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Anyway, so there you go. Anyway, so whatever you want to say, say it to us. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. We enjoy hearing from you on late lunch, but I did smell. I reeked I'd when I got out did. of the vine. <laughs> I was like the McGillicuddies. <laughs> the McGillicuddy reeks for sure. Your poor anyway. mother, she had to wash your clothes when you got home. <laughs> that woman, she's in heaven with a halo around her head, a saint, because she guided me through many very, very treacherous years with many, many things, which I'll relay more to you as the, the weeks go by on the show. But look, we have a final break of the afternoon to take today. And afterwards, well, a tragedy, an Awful tragedy unfolded at Sutton, uh, Borough Beach yesterday where a teenager lost their life uh, in a swimming accident. So we're joined next to have a word about safety on the water by Roger Sweeney. A young man lost his life yesterday at Borough Beach, Sutton. Shocking tragedy for all concerned his family we think of them today and the good weather invariably leads to more and more people out on the water every type of water course with these lovely lovely temperatures and it's going to continue into next weekend and beyond by the looks of things i'm joined on the line by somebody i've chatted to in the past he's roger sweeney acting ceo of water safety ireland hello roger 
Jerry, hello. Thank you. Um, you hit the nail on the head there in terms of the weather and the conversation that needs to happen, especially the condolences to the family. And that's, that always prompts this conversation. So thanks for, for doing so. No, let's have that conversation because, you know, people go out and let's face it, it's a release after, you know, a terrible winter uh, with uh, COVID, etc. And the poor weather of the spring and into early summer. And now suddenly people just go and they want to go wild. But water, Roger, we must respect water in every aspect. Yes, and the fact that you mentioned COVID just prompted me, you know, do you know that there, for the last two years there isn't a child or adult in this country that had swimming classes? So yes. imagine if somebody felt competent two years ago and, have, and, and they haven't had classes, they may have felt competent in a swimming pool or perhaps or the warm pools of a leisure centre. And so now, as you say, you know, this warm weather, they're getting out and they're enjoying the water, but they, they lack the training and they'll certainly lack the, um, the practice. And if they're coming from a situation where they're in a swimming pool uh, environment, the open water environment is completely different. And what we've seen, and, and the lifeguards that are volunteers train around the country, they see this every year where um, people kind of take their eye off the ball in terms of their ability level. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and if we, if we look at drownings in, in general, I mean, that, that, that's an awful tragedy that's after happening. And, and there were 80 families that suffered a, a similar tragedy um, la- last year. And actually, if you just look at the 10 years, in the last 10 years, we had just over 1,100 families that lost a loved one to drowning in the, in the last 10 years. And, and a bit of perspective on that, we had 1,600, just over 1,600 road deaths versus 1,100 drowning. So it's not quite 50-50, Jerry, but it's certainly up there. It's like 60-40. So, you know, a lot more uses of our road. So that, that really prompts me to, you know, just prompt people to, you know, have the conversation as we started with, you know, and what does that conversation mean? Well, people drown, and and I'm I'm generalizing here, but overall, there are three or four main main reasons that that people drown in this country. And and first and foremost is that they, they overestimate their own ability and they underestimate the risk. So then other factors come to play uh, in there. So what do, what do I mean by that, even in terms of overestimating their ability? Well, we spoke a bit there about um, competent swimming pool um, swimmers going out and then enjoying the open water. Well, if you if you go into open water, um, uh, there are hidden depths, there are hidden hazards. And Sometimes people can get in someplace that's safe, and certainly, you know, they look for somewhere that's shallow shelving, as we say, you know, that it's, it's, mm. it's, it's easy enough to get in. But then the slightest current, the slightest current at all, can take you to a place that it can be difficult to get, uh, to get out. And even if, if you turn at that stage to start swimming back, you can find yourself swimming against even a slight current, and that sort of, you know, that, that can wake you up a bit in terms of, gosh, I have a little bit of a challenge now. And the water temperature, we're, we're not in Greece, you know, so we have warm air, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we have very warm water. We don't have very warm water at the moment. So, so the, if the muscles cool down at all, then you're into a scenario where they, they don't have the heat, they don't have the, the warmth um, in the muscle to, to uh, basically swim as competently as you might have. So that's, yes. that's why sometimes good swimmers actually drown, you know, and, they, and, mm. and sometimes people can become a little bit overconfident in their, in, their, in their abilities. And of course, stronger swimmers are less likely to be supervised and that increases the, the, the um, chances of drowning as well. And sometimes people who can swim to 
some extent they can they can end up taking risks and they swim out of their depths and they don't stay within their depth for example you know and these are a variety of the dangers you know and there's entanglement and so on and so other issues so so yes. you know trying to keep up is is often another case you know where people want to fit in in, in all sorts of life in all aspects of life and whether it's a child or an adult you know you, yes. you, you sometimes people assume that they can keep up with the other other swimmers and that can lead to a good, and I use inverted commas, a good swimmer, finding themselves in a little position that they can't get out of, you know, and especially if you haven't learned proper survival skills. And the volunteers within Water Safety Ireland, they're teaching life-saving skills since 1945, you know, all around yeah. the country. But, you know, just to learn how to tread water and learn how to roll back onto your back and that type of thing. And and so, you know, really the, the ask, Jerry, is, you know, any of your listeners now, if there was a takeaway from this conversation, when you, when you get to a beach, um, you know, draw a line in the sand in your mind, you know, a virtual line, just assess the risk. Just look and see, is there a lifeguard present? Well, even if there is a lifeguard present, have the flags moved since the day before, because the flags can move up and down a beach, because the rip currents can move up or down a beach, you know. And I think, as well, in terms of having the conversation with loved ones, you know, don't don't just gloss over the term rip current, you know. Just look at that for a minute, you know. And if you if you have if you're a listener now and you're 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 talking to your children about the dangers of rip currents, say. Yes. So you've gone to a lifeguarded waterway and, and, and you, you know, you'll be safe there because lifeguards can spot them. Well, how can you spot them? So, yeah. you know, it, it just think about the beach as being, um, uh, you, you can have these elevated sandbanks under the water. And so what happens right. is, you know, the, the slight little waves, Jerry, you know, the little white yes. waves, they're coming in. So you arrive to the beach and you might be warm and you've got the kids with you and you look down, you see all these white waves coming in. But then typically there's an area that isn't as elevated the sandbank isn't yes, as elevated and I, I know the, the, the contours etc listen Roger time's going to beat me I'm out at half past three just <clears throat> a warning to everybody to be on your guard don't take the lilos out in the water watch the tides watch the weather talk to the lifeguards and stay safe Roger I have to leave it there today watersafety.ie will give everything Jerry. watersafety.ie Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me, watersafety.ie. That's a lot on late lunch today. Tomorrow, boxing, we're uh, talking to some of the local clubs. You know the uh, controversy happening there at the weekend. Shane Dunphy's book has been turned into a movie. He's with us. And we have two lovely ladies from Meath who are competing for the Miss Ireland title this year. That and more besides coming your way. Eddie Caffrey is next. We'll see you for late lunch midweek Wednesday, 1.30. Bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Opal, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Discover the all-new Opal Mocha, featuring Opal's iconic new signature visor, stunning Opal Pure Panel and a choice of petrol, diesel or fully electric. The new Opal Mocha is less normal, more Mocha. Visit BlackstoneMotors.ie Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.